Greetings. This is Larry D. Giles. A uh, long time no hear from me, I guess we could say. I actually took a, a break from recording my second book to prepare for my McGuffey Arts Center reading, which requires a little different focus. My focus was on um, not so much creating, but um, reading and practicing for that event, which uh, now that it's passed, I feel like I need to get back to my center. My center more so is not so much reading what I've written as creating something new. I kind of get joy out of putting the pieces together and uh, trying to uh, seek um, a point of resolution. That's basically what my writing is all about. Um, the current book I'm writing is called The Boy Beside the Woods, which... Um, uh, recounts my childhood from the 50s through the 70s. I've decided it's going to end when I go off to college. This chapter I've recorded before, but I liked it so much I decided to go back and add to it. Um, the piece focuses on my stepmother, and um, it kind of recounts some of my thoughts and imaginings surrounding her. Of course, as a writer, you do take details that you remember, but you enhance them and you um, use them to imagine and expand what you know. I do want to point out that... Um, Generally, when I write about a character, it means that I already have some respect and love for them. But when I'm writing, especially in the book that I'm currently working on, um, it is a story, so I do have to um, select elements of conflict to incorporate into my book to uh, keep the reader interested so what I'm getting at is, even though this piece does have some, I would say, just small minor uh, reflections of negativity in regards to my stepmother, the basic, um, what it's getting at is mostly positive. And since that time, a lot of the issues I did resolve, uh, in fact, my stepmother as I think about her in the long run, was one of the more colorful female characters from my childhood, even uh, as charming or more charming than my my mother herself. Um, this piece called The Superstition from The Boy Beside the Woods 
One of the first things I may have been aware of as a child was that people and places can be strange. They may have strange faces, and the faces may exist in strange houses along strange roads. People might even have strange beliefs and customs. And then, as funny as it seems, the idea itself could also be a stranger coming and going randomly in a dark room, in the sunlight with the witchy mule at the well, or sometimes not at all, my thoughts empty apparitions full of strange, unearthly superstitions. I did not know all the faces, but I knew some of them. In this respect, my father's second wife was at times a kind of ghostly curiosity. Not only did she suddenly appear in my life along a long dark gate between two or three fields, in daylight before the mimosas that scrambled to see her tangled hair, she often kept her head in the weirdest wraps. Sometimes it was a rumpled corn bag of curls, and other times a kind of turban snarl her sisters and brothers may have thought was funny. But even though she was, as they say, like Mary, pretty soon after I met her, I was, I would say, not sure she liked children. I was sure, however, she was superstitious. My grandparents, whom I was rather sure loved children, had an opinion of her that may have also been a bit twisty. The first marriage to the young new mother they also kind of liked or loved mostly because my father had chosen her. But the, the fix had been such a failure, I doubt they welcomed her at second from another extremity of the same family. Watch out for them tailors, may have been said from the dining room breakfast table to a closing door. Or rang you ought to be going back down in there. Though the crooked road and mud holes may have forgiven him, my grandmother may have had a sideways manner of hinting to her angelic favorite. But this my father likely quickly ignored. Home only a few years from the eerie lowlands of Wanju, Korea, and loving at that time mostly cars and the white neighbor's logging trucks, he lunged up the gate like headlights looking for the dark. <coughs> Through the dismal far down of the gnarled sassafras, the long, wobbly gate past the old-timey juju woman we went with him with his fedora, or whatever it was, tipped a little scary. My sister and I bobbing up and down like dice on a cardboard box when the snake eyes are poppy and running. The youngest brother who lived there, maybe a singular clean saint, 
would be bathing and primping before a hand mirror and a long tub beside the clapboard house that looked uncannily like my mother's. The other mini-siblings, all of various colors, older teens or older, going here and there through the maze of gray, fishy rooms. My sister and I looked, stood mesmerized, and swallowed. I think my father may have at first gone to see the older brother with whom he was friends, but the friend's old man when the teens were not clipping his toenails and bringing him an extra hunk of pie, may have been a pushy talker, and the house kept easing out surprises like old green tackle boxes with very rusty hooks. Affet, you got the quietest children, quiet and pretty as can be, pretty like they mama. My mother, Polly Peachtree, had been her teenage friend. The oldest sister, my mother's cousin, smiled and gave up the good fortune, removing the scarf turban tied tight as a mule's bridle around her head. Suddenly, the oldest sister in her best patent leather shoes was courting my father. And more than a few times, she happened to be at the grandmother's house, or whomever she was, closer to the road. I guess where they might steal off my father and her and get a little sugar behind the shed. There, where the porch lights stayed on at least till way past midnight, when everything was free to do as it pleased. As dark descended upon the little stoop porch, my stepmother cackled more and more over the snuff-chewing mama as we learned of ghosts and Jezebels and spells that had befallen our little village back through the years, the centuries, I reckon. My grandfather had also told us some, but it was the juju woman who knew most everything, and more. The juju woman's mother, whom we imagined to be the high priestess, had been a slave, and that bemourned all her whinings. Dead man been down there on that swamp, she said, spitting in an old mansion's coffee can by the skinny leg of the table. I know y'all ain't going down there nowhere near that swamp. Toddy, I say. Mighty, mighty toddy. Toddy, we figured out later, was her cousin who had drowned. Nearly drunk, the house with the little porch light that buzzed in the stifling dark and scorched the hugest moths was doubled over on its side. A suitcase of old rooms caught in a tumble with several sticks and clicks, dolls and little dollies flat and squatting on every corner. Sometimes they stuck their little feet out at you or offered you something. A tooth may be caught in some thread, a rabbit's foot or a pair of old wooden beads, small black-brown syrupy bottles 
waiting for someone to taste. There was a mule's tuft of black hair, I think, on the china cabinet by the door. A two-dollar bill pushed in a corner of a frame. A black and white picture of Jesus resisting the heavy shroud of curtains, some dried burrs or seedy brownish pods, pods draped over one of its sides. Life piled on life in many dark layers where the mind wanders and dangles in a cord. Didn't I tell y'all to sit down there and make yourselves comfortable? Ain't nothing left around here chilling but comfort. Memories and comfort. These bones, I tell you, Miss Molly, these bones. The witch lady, or neighbor, or maybe a great aunt, or old, old cousin, I wasn't sure which she was, was wearing something like a pair of fox red stockings rolled up so tight around her forehead they dug for the skull. But she adjusted the tightness, then smacked delightfully, almost choking. That damn stove he got there, she said to anyone snatching something from the center table and hiding it in her sweater pocket, which I think was her husband's, maybe the girlfriend's father's, then to my father. Let Mama get her fire right with some more dry wood. Then you can come here, talking to my sister. Come here, baby, and let me smell your ear. With 20 scalding hot dollars from my great-grandfather's sawmill, about that time a youth or two would suddenly knock in some deep moment of wordlessness, then pass through the first room with their blood-sucked eyes and ask the girlfriend or her mama, whom the grandmother may have had in her man pocket, to spit on some dice. Uh, uh, baby girl, she said to the girlfriend, go back yonder and get aft at some of that good old cone whiskey. Got a good lick back there. I might be feeling something, she whispered almost apologetically, then loud and clear. Send them their children out there on that porch. Life's still on out yonder. I know they ain't round no mama scared or nothing. The juju woman objected officially to the boys asking, then turned her back to slickly roll the dice and the snuff spit straight from her mouth and its twenty-art wrinkles. Close to the screen door we stayed and half gawked, though nothing excited my sister. She had her thumb to bite on. <laughs> Another boy not more than sixteen would get the juju woman to come over under the alcove of the stairs. What, 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 he could barely talk. Which done put this here thing on me? Can't halfway move my left foot. Look here what she did to me, he whispered, sticking out his big toe. Shit that damn dough, she said to the turtle dove. 
the granddaughter, or whomever she was, she was ready to do her conjuring, the juju woman. Then the old woman with her head in a rag would escort the hopeless boy by way of her long snake stick to the back room where we couldn't see, looking to see if anybody was looking. My sister and I were definitely trying to look through the screen. A large portrait of an old, old man with a beard long as an arm and with his head turned sideways could barely look out from the trap of the frame. And the other old man, my real mother's uncle, stayed mostly in his room, maybe afraid to come down. My stepmother, being the pretty girlfriend in Tuttledug, offered us a piece of her grandmother's black moon molasses pie. But I'm not sure she wanted us to have any because maybe the witch spell had also by then got on her. Team much, children, she said. Here, take it, she added and stuck it through the crack of the screen where the fields drew back close to the woods. On the dirt road, in the house on the hill, we ate rather slowly more of the pie, which had through some hocus-pocus turned into a gooey pudding and soft fish caught on the full moon, maybe before we were born. Affet, the newlywed said, tightening the large tin lid. Them fish has got to stay in there for three more weeks, I tells you till they gets the whammy on them. She only said that if she thought maybe she would cook. Stay from that window, she jumped, talking to us. Cause when the curtain fall back like that, my grandmama howl say something bad gonna happen to (laughs) y'all. Something had already happened. My sister took out her shriveled thumb Putting it in again, she may have thought our mama was already gone and with new children who were not us and our home on the dirt road was no longer home. My little sister, maybe under a spell, may have also barely remembered our new mother's little carefully laid hints that our mother acted too crazy to have been her friend which slowly grew into my sister, me, and my father all being intolerably queer. Even so, in a year or less, my new mother, my father, my sister, and I would live across the field from my mother and her new husband, who was as strange as anyone, sneaking kind of like you didn't want to see him. Even at the new home with my stepmother in the light of day or late evening, the silkwood with their creepy limbs and nervous flowers seemed at times to disapprove of softballs or very happy light-skinned boys and girls. At other times, despite everything that could possibly happen to foreshadow the midnights to come, truth poked out more and more. Sometimes the stepmother in her head wrap came out to watch us play ball with the boys across the field, Amma Roof's boys, 
whose mother also believed in black cat bones, voodoo babies, and tokens. In fact, there was a graveyard right in her backyard or somewhere around there. Maybe it was at her mother's. Even pregnant, the neighbor's childhood friend, my stepmother, had become even more social, pretty or something. From the porch of the old gray colonial, she wanted to know everything and put her spin on it, including who hit that ball and whose child was that with us and which moon was he born on. Was that a pretty name like the one she planned for her baby? And was that child down yonder dumb with like old man Johnson's boy that the witch got on top of and rode? One summer, after ball and hopscotch, and the baby was born, turned out to be the strangest and maybe also the most spooky. Sitting by the dark cur curtains where she said she had seen a token, she told our daddy, my sister, and I were the most unruly, crazy kids she had ever seen. And she was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Unruly, I thought. Crazy, I thought, but dare not say it. My sister and I, scared of ghosts and scared of tokens, scared of my grandmother, scared of her and my daddy, scared of my mother's new husband. How could children afraid to talk be unruly? Well, holy moly, don't you know, even stranger than what she said, my father turned in the weirdest circle and believed her. In fact, halfway starry-eyed through some old African love portion, he may have suddenly had a vision. He comes out the dark, smoky kitchen with the meanest, most crooked, evil-eyed stick we ever saw. Thank the Lord, my father shook it real funny, but didn't use it. But the baby, he seemed to love the baby for no particular reason, though not as much as the juju woman's superstitious daughter. Thank you.